Thank you so much for joining us on Transportation Radio. My name is Bernie Wagenblast, and today I'm joined by Peter Muller. He is the president of PRT Consulting. He's also the president of the Advanced Transit Association. Peter, welcome to Transportation Radio. Thanks for having me, Bernie. Probably a good place to start because a lot of folks who are listening to this may not be familiar with the Advanced Transit Association. Tell us what that is, if you would, please. It's a an association of um, people uh, from a variety of backgrounds, but, but many related to transportation and transit, that tries to um, promote the cause of advanced transit. And by that, we mean automated public mobility service that's on demand, quick, reliable, affordable, and sustainable. The Advanced Transit Association has has uh, two branches. There's, there's Mother Atra, as we call it, the original association, and then there's, there's also the industry group, which is comprised of uh, professionals in this industry uh, who are either consulting to the industry, um, manufacturing and providing systems, and or support services. Now, how does this relate to your consulting firm, PRT Consulting? Well, PRT Consulting is a member of, of both uh, the Advanced Transit Association and of the industry group. And um, the Advanced Transit Association kind of takes care of the nonprofit side of things, runs conferences and, and things like that, whereas PRT Consulting is a for-profit consulting organization that provides planning and engineering services related to uh, different forms of advanced transit. When when you talk about advanced transit, what is the status currently in the U.S. and worldwide when it comes to PRT? Well, um, it's changing quite rapidly. PRT first came out in, in 1975 at Morgantown, West Virginia, and, and then it, it stumbled. Uh, that project had a difficult beginning, although since then it's done fantastically well, uh, but it's taken a long time for PRT to reemerge. And, and the next system, one of what I would call the modern generation of systems, came out in 1999 and has been running ever since in uh, Rotterdam in uh, the Netherlands. And then after that, other systems followed starting in 2010. And now we have four or five different systems in public service on a continuous basis. But the, uh, the market is, is starting to expand rapidly. There are systems under construction in the East and in um, the Middle East, mostly, that have dozens of vehicles. And uh, there are systems that are about to go into implementation again mostly in the East and the Middle East, that will have uh, as many as a 1,000 vehicles in, in one application. So it, it is starting to tip. Unfortunately, not here in the U.S., not yet. Well, at least with that initial system that began in Morgantown, that is on the campus of West Virginia University. Describe that a little bit, if you would, please. Yes, yeah, so the, um, the university started off with a campus that was mostly downtown, and they outgrew that campus, but they were bounded by a mountain or a hill, a steep hill, and they, so they had to build the next campus up on the top of the hill. And students couldn't get from one campus to the other campus between classes, so they had to register 
in any one semester for classes entirely at one campus. And then in the 1975, the, the PRT system was installed, and it combined the campuses and unified the university so that it, it now acts as if it is just one big campus and students can register for classes anywhere. Uh, the initial system had three stations, uh, and it was then expanded to uh, five stations and about uh, three and a, along about a three-and-a-half-mile route with some 70 vehicles. And it's been phenomenally successful. It's done over 200 million passenger miles without a serious injury accident. Now, if I were a student or a visitor to uh, West Virginia University and I went to one of these stations, what would I find? How would it operate for me? Okay, so um, this is really what we call a GRT system, Group Rapid Transit, rather than PRT, although the, the definitions are kind of merging, and, and modern PRT systems typically have some GRT aspects to them. But this system uses 20 passenger vehicles. When you go into a station, you go through a turnstile to get onto the station as a student, you have a pass. As a visitor, you would put in 50 cents. And you go into the station and you look for the sign that indicates the station you want to go to. And you go and get on the vehicle that's waiting under that sign. You might have to wait to get on. And, and typically what they do at Morgantown is they will hold the vehicles for up to five minutes to try to fill them up. So um, depending on when you get there, you could wait up to five minutes. But so the average wait is about two and a half minutes. You get on a vehicle and it goes usually directly to your station nonstop, although there could be an intermediate stop. You had also mentioned that there's a system operating in Rotterdam. How does that operate? Okay, so the Rotterdam system, interestingly, is also a GRT system. These are the only two GRT systems presently uh, operating in the world, and the Rotterdam system is kind of similar. I forget how many stations it has. It's also approximately five. It's approximately the same length, and it, it connects a business park to a rail station. So uh, people uh, get off the, the train. Again, they go to a, a station and select their destination, and the vehicle takes them to their destination uh, nonstop or, or with a few intermediate stops. The vehicle is automated, but it, it basically stops at stations where a stop is requested, either by somebody on the vehicle or by somebody at the station. If no stop is requested, it bypasses the station. Interestingly enough, this system is about to be expanded to operate not only on, on the what's called a guideway. In this case, it's at grade, and it's only semi-protected from uh, pedestrians and cars. Uh, it is possible for pedestrians, bikes, and cars to get on this guideway, although they're not intended to. But they're about to expand the system onto city streets so that it will operate as an autonomous bus on city streets, and it's expected to be the first one ever to do so without any kind of attendant being required. Around the U.S., I think people have had the most experience with driverless vehicles when it comes to airports, uh, trains that run from the gate area to the terminals or from the terminals out to parking areas and things of that sort. Would that be considered GRT or PRT? Uh, no, the, that's considered automated people movers, and GRT or PRT are considered the subset 
of automated people movers. And the key difference is really that in APM, the switching is in the rail, and in PRT or GRT, the switching is in the vehicle. In other words, when you come to a place, a fork in the road, with APM, the rail moves, and you have to go right or left. With PRT, uh, in many cases, the vehicle just steers itself right or left, or there's, a, there's something on the vehicle that moves to, to grab a different part of the rail and turn it right or left. When the switching is on the vehicle, the vehicles can be within a few seconds of each other. When the switching is on the rail, the vehicles have to be about 90 seconds apart. So that's the big difference. And, and what that enables with PRT, it enables offline stations. So you'll notice if you go to an airport APM like we have here in Denver, where there are four stations, if you go from one end to the other end, you're going to stop at all four stations. Whereas if that was a PRT system, you would only stop at your final destination. When it comes to PRT and GRT, what kind of applications do you think are best suited to having these kinds of systems installed? That's an interesting question because uh, I think you might get a different answer depending on, on who you ask. Originally, these systems were invented back in the 50s and 60s with the idea that they would be urban systems and would be throughout metropolitan areas functioning on a, on a wide network of interconnected loops, typically one-way loops, with many stations, stations about half a mile apart and, and uh, arms of the loop about half a mile apart so that you would effectively get a, a a station within five minutes walk of almost anybody in the suburbs or, or in the, the, the downtown areas. As they've been developed, though, uh, it's been difficult for developers to develop systems capable of, of that kind of uh, application, and so they focused more on bringing them out for niche applications like universities and airports. However, um, the movement now is afoot in, in the East and the Middle East, to bring out citywide systems, and this is where you start needing thousands of vehicles and, and tens of or hundreds of miles of track and, and dozens or hundreds of stations. These systems that are being developed in the East and in the Middle East, are they being funded by government primarily? No. In fact, this is another interesting factor, and it's good and bad for the industry. And that is that um, it's long been thought that, that PRT can pay for itself. And that is not just the operating costs, but the capital costs, too, through the fare box. So you can charge enough to passengers to pay for the operating costs and to amortize the capital costs. And so most of these systems are not being paid for by governments, but they're, they're being installed for free by suppliers. And this is actually a huge hurdle for suppliers to overcome because they have to build systems that, that really can do this. And then they have to raise the capital to do it and, and so on. And, and the governments expect it to be done for free. And so uh, there have been some failures where uh, systems have been proposed and the government said, well, you, can, you have to give it to us for free, but at the same time we're not going to let you charge more than – for example, a typical bus fare, and this is for a much, much, much higher level of service than a bus, 
And so here you have a, a, a supplier that's trying to install a system for free, and they're being held to extremely high standards, and, and it hasn't always worked. Uh, however, um, things are changing, and we're, we're about to see systems go in that do work in this way and do pay for themselves. These systems that you're talking about, they're being installed, as we said, in the Middle East and in the East primarily. What's holding back development in North America and Europe? That's a complicated question, but it relates to a large extent to skepticism and institutional inertia. We're used to doing business the way we do business. For example, uh, transit agencies oftentimes don't really think about themselves as being in the business of moving people the best way possible. They think of themselves as being bus companies or train companies. So they're kind of locked into an existing paradigm. And then the federal government doesn't help because it uh, funds things based on corridor studies. And these systems operators' networks, they, they don't have to be confined to corridors like legacy transit systems. So as soon as you start analyzing them as a corridor system, you put them at a disadvantage. And then we fund things in a way that doesn't help innovation. For example, um, if you were a mayor and I were to give you a, uh, a light rail system for $200 million, but the federal government is going to pay $100 million of that, would you rather have that or would you rather have a PRT system that costs $100 million, but you're going to pay for it yourself? Well, most mayors are going to say, I'd rather have the light rail because then I'm bringing $100 million of federal dollars into my community. So we have these kinds of hurdles to overcome. Does PRT and GRT lend itself to public-private partnerships? Absolutely. This is something that we're trying to generate here in the U.S. We've actually been involved in two unsolicited proposals that were potentially public-private partnerships, neither of which were successful at the time. In the one case, we were told the timing was wrong, the agency was too busy with other things, and we should come back later. Then our team fell apart when the key person at the um, engineering procurement company left. Um, and, and in the other case, we happened to submit our proposal literally days after somebody else submitted a proposal. And the agency's policy was that, that they took the first proposal and try to make it work before they even opened the second proposal. So they, the first proposal was successful, and they didn't even open ours. But, but uh, I expect to be involved in more of these types of unsolicited proposals in the U.S. over the next few years. This is a tremendous opportunity for big engineering procurement companies to go in and, and solve situations in the U.S. that, that are presently underfunded or, or, or just don't make financial sense. Well, despite the early success of the PRT system in Morgantown, West Virginia, it seems that much of the attention is really focused on the future. And looking at that future, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers has a Transportation Infrastructure 2050 Challenge that they've put out. Tell me what that is and how it relates to the work that you're doing. Well, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I heard about this challenge um, and, and to be honest, I can't even remember how I heard, first heard about it, but I thought, wow, they're looking for new transportation infrastructure that will be applicable to 2050. 
That's exactly what I'm working on and have been working on for many years. So I put in a proposal for that challenge based on conventional PRT, but what I did was I took it to the next generation by utilizing something that's being developed by a company called Transit Control Solutions. Um, one of the problems with, with present PRT is that it's relatively slow with low to medium capacity. So it's kind of like light rail in terms of speed and capacity. And it really could be a whole lot more than that. And Transit Control Solutions is developing a control system where the vehicles will do 60 miles an hour and be one second apart and so have capacity equivalent to about six or seven freeway lanes. So this next generation of, of PRT, which I call City Loop, which is kind of the, the missing link of Hyperloop, is what I proposed for this competition. Well, talking about that, I imagine it's going to be one of the topics of discussion at the conference coming up in November, Podcar City Advanced Transit Conference that's going to be taking place in Las Vegas. Tell me a bit about the conference and what people who are attending are going to see there. Yeah, Podcar City is an annual conference. This is, I believe, the 11th. Uh, it, it's held alternately between the U.S. and Europe. At least that's what, what the history is. We, we might go to Asia at some time in the near future. Um, this conference is in Las Vegas, and we'll have a, a, a variety of topics ranging from PRT and GRT, which, which uh, you could call guideway automated vehicles, and, and there will also be some off-guideway automated vehicle discussions too. For example, the, the system in the, the Netherlands I told you about that's essentially a driverless bus in mixed traffic, and, and then other um, driverless bus systems and also uh, driverless taxi systems will also be under discussion. So uh, a part of this conference is another challenge, which is being put out to uh, cities and students to develop uh, solutions for particular cities with different solutions. So that will be part of the conference, too. We've been talking with Peter Muller. He is the president of PRT Consulting, also the president of the Advanced Transit Association. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You're welcome, Bernie. I appreciate it very much.